Welcome to the Nearly Footballers podcast where Nearly Footballers discuss football, man. And today we've got a bonus special episode, man. It's a really nice episode with uh, Nathan Dean Karayuki, a good friend of ours. And uh, a bit more than that, he is a professional coach, goalkeeping coach, and a professional scout currently in the industry as well. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about a lot of the challenges that nearly footballers themselves uh, find in the journey to try and become professional footballers and have a long and sustainable career, man. I hope you're well. Uh, Thank you, man. Moody, joining us as well today. Someone well, 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 who also is a nearly footballer like we myself. squandered the chance. Squandered. You yeah. squandered it. Squandered you sound it. like there's a lot of regret <laughs> in so, that. Oh, I mean, if you're a footballer and you love football, you're always going to regret not making it to the yeah, top. That's yeah. all you cared about. You know? Fair enough, fair so enough. Says the, the money was a bonus. Fair enough, mate. <laughs> Look, uh, obviously in Kenya, things are quite difficult. And I think that's largely due to maybe the lack of an actual working system. Yeah. Uh, and also the lack of the right attitudes in trying to get the system working as well. Uh, but before we get into your experience, because you also do have some experience in Kenya. Yeah, so I used to coach at Karibangi Sharks mm -hmm. um, when we were in the NSL. So the season we actually um, went up into the KPL, I was one of the goalkeeping coaches there. Nice. Um, so I've been part of promoted side, which is great. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I've also been in Portugal and now I'm in England. So we're going to see English football at the the, the sharp end of it. The uh, sharp yeah. end of it. All right. Let's let's talk about your education and your experience so far. Yeah. I mean, is it is this something that you always knew you wanted to do, no matter what? Well, no, no, I can't say I did because when I was a kid, right, I was always the kid who I could never play. You know, that's that's the first point. You, you guys are nearly footballers. I was mm. never nearly a footballer. <laughs> I remember so, I'm more in your case. Yeah, I remember once <laughs> I went to a game with my dad. Um, it was my first time ever at Old Trafford. He's an Arsenal fan. I'm a United fan, and it was United Arsenal. And I was a, I was a goalkeeper, and I remember pointing. And Thomas Kushak was in goal. I pointed at him and said to my dad, "Yeah, I'm going to play. I'm going to play here one day." My dad instantly should have said, no, you're not. <laughs> it's never going to happen because <laughs> I couldn't have been any further from United. But I was always the kid who just loved football. I knew everything about it growing up. When I was seven years old, I could tell you every player United and their squad number, you know, who who they came from, you know, how, how many goals they had. I was always that. And it was only when I got older that, you know, I never, because I didn't grow up in football necessarily because I... My, and I never was in a club or anything like that. I didn't know what the process was like mm. um, within the game in terms of coaching, in terms of analysts. And it's only when I was going to university, I thought, oh, come on, there's got to be a way that I can turn into, I can turn this knowledge that I've, into, into something. There's got to mm. be some role for me in football. So I started, you know, I started coaching a little bit. And I said, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to go for it. Like I didn't, I kind of went into it blind. Um, I just said, this is what I want to do. I'll figure it out later. Um, so ended up doing my degree in um, football studies. Mm. Did my coaching badges. Whoa, whoa football studies. Football, foot, foot, football, studies. football studies and business, technically. Ah, so nice. okay. um, the business part satisfied the parents' um, requirement, but just the, in the business. Yeah, you know, I, I always, I always emphasize that part to them. I think they were they were a bit concerned, but they, you know, very supportive of them to kind of let me kind of figure it out myself and did my coaching badges. Ended up at Sharks and kind of gone from there. As you know, football is constantly about learning. You know, you never. Yeah. You can never stop learning in the game. The second you do, you're, you're out of it, pretty how, much. How did you find yourself taking on the goalkeeping role? Is that is that something you specialized in yourself? I yeah, mean, you know, you my, my, you my friends were older than me. So mm. in school, my friends were always older than me, so I was always the kid put in goal. <laughs> 
and that's literally that's that's literally how it started. <laughs> that's that's bullying, no? No, 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 no that's, that's, that's how we all started. Yeah. Bullying. Fair enough, man. So, so yeah. goalkeeper from when I was five years old, six years old, because all my friends were older than me, and I ended up just sticking with it, and it somehow worked out for me. Um, now, and you know, then the coaching came, the scouting came later. Um, related skills, but quite different mm. in terms of how how you apply them. But really enjoying the scouting now. I think yeah. scouting is kind of. Where, where my passion is mm, picking out talents I think when it, it, it's a bit of a source of pride isn't it when you see something not many people do yeah you know I think I think that's the ultimate I've not been in it long enough for it to quite happen where a player I've called and said that's going to be go to the very top that they've, they've made it quite yet there's mm. a few who I'm I, sure you'd let us know oh yeah <laughs> there, there, there are a few who I already like you know not noted down in a notebook that I can't wait to take a picture of and post on Twitter in, in five years time saying I told you also I knew <laughs> I knew I think you know that's, that's, the, that's the fun in it you know with, with the other scouts at the club who've been there for much longer than me more experienced than me they all have that kind of mm. you know they have that fun with it oh yeah I called him no you got that wrong you know they love one of the favorite things is looking up the old reports and you yeah. know kind of like seeing who said what about this player and how that's kind of worked out for them it's really yeah that's kind Fair of fun, play, fun. Uh, I, feel, I feel like that on FIFA career mode you know yeah yeah, yeah, honestly, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Of course, I'm not going to come <laughs> and test and be like, Oh, yeah, I knew this guy, I knew this guy. Yeah. But honestly, in Karimbo, that's what I always that's used to do. I always so used to bright. go, Yeah, exactly. I used to look for smaller players from like Sweden or Japan or something. And when they get to the top and I sell them to like a team like Real Madrid or Barcelona, I'm like, Look at that. And honestly, some of them in, in like reality have actually gone on to be, be like, best. I think, one of the guys who. I didn't even know people knew about him was Takefusa Kubo mm. for Kubo. the Real Madrid player. He used yeah. to be in Barcelona then he went back to Japan. Yeah. I was like, that was my number 10 for I think like seven seasons. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, my brother also had a weird one. I, I, I don't know that I have one to be fair. But you, don't my brother, play, you don't play career mode. I don't play mode, career mode. Uh, I, I play the big boy games. You <laughs> know, uh, not not the legendary Zunini. But uh, when I remember my brother used to play Gareth Bale and he moved him. He's like, this guy's a left back. But if you put him left wing, he's disgusting. And somehow, he's now a freak kick specialist. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And this was way before. I think this was what? 2008? When you first, first moved from Saints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a long time ago. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of uncanny how football manager and FIFA can... Mirror life. That, yeah, they can mimic it to certain extents. So not, it's, not, it's quite not, not precise, but I mean... Like that's why I said to a certain yeah, extent, you know sure. what I mean. Um, but b- before you got to being a, foot- a goalkeeping coach for K Sharks, <laughs> what led up to that? What what preceded that? What were the certain? What were certain decisions, turning points, and periods where you learned quite a bit and figured out where you were going to be? Um, well, I mean, so everyone always starts start coaching kids. So did sessions, you know, with. You know, just kids. So I did a few in Southampton when I was at uni. Mm. Did a few sessions here. And, you know, just learning about the game. So whatever it took for me to kind of understand goalkeeping better, whether that podcasts or, you know, video, and it ended up just being conversations with people, just mm. kind of like taking bits from the game. So when I was at Sharks, so I was one of the goalkeeping coaches, the the, the head goalkeeping coach, Sunil, was, was a great influence of mine because he much more experienced, been with the national team. You know, he's done it all in Kenyan football. And, you know, that's when you kind of just, you know, learn from from those kind of conversations with people, just like understanding the subtleties of the position, understanding that, you know, the subtle tweaks that make a good goalkeeper into a great goalkeeper mm-hmm. or a goalkeeper who doesn't make it and, and kind of understanding that watching the game is the most powerful thing. And I think that transition from coaching 
into scouting comes from that is that understanding that watching the game with whatever eye you have, be it as a fan, be it as a coach, be it as a scout, is the most powerful education you can have in the sport. Interesting. Like I think there are a lot of people, and, and you know, I don't want to speak badly of people, but there are a lot of journalists in particular who it's very obvious that they don't watch football. You know, they, mm. and I think that worries me because a lot of fans base their opinions on what those they people say, and it's that disconnect between. And it's impossible, you know. Don't ever listen to anyone who tells you they've watched every game. It's yeah. impossible, you know. I do it, you know. I, that's what I do. I watch football, and I I can't sit and watch more than three, four matches in a day. It's tiring. It's tiring. <laughs> so anyone who tells you, oh, I watched this game, this game, this game, this game, no, it's not possible. You can't. You 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 can't be watching with a keen enough eye if mm. you can sit and watch five, six, seven matches in a day. The math doesn't make sense. So, <laughs> so you know, being very selective of matches I watch and just kind of learning as much as I can from yeah. from people. Fair enough, man. Uh, I think it's very interesting that you mentioned the journalist part because it's true. You do have opinion leaders. Oh, yeah. And if those opinion leaders aren't watching enough or don't don't hold sound opinions, then it kind of just reverberates through the fan base or through a large part of the fan base. And Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's the thing is that in football, there is definitely a, you know, code of silence. If you're in the game... Mm. You know, it's not really seen as you go talk about the game outside of it, and you kind of keep everything in house, and which is which, which is the old way of doing. It. I think now we're starting to see more people in football trying to go out be on platforms like this and talk mm-hmm. about the game. But when, yeah, people who set the opinion, set the tone of things, they can, I think, they can ruin players' careers. You know, they can really affect it. Affects it has an effect on people's lives. You know, mm-hmm. their livelihood when an opinion just gets held, and that's what you know that yeah. that's what comes of it. And you know, I think. I'm going to take an example here of like um, Harry Maguire, right? I think if you talk to a lot of people in football, they'll tell you Harry Maguire is a great centre-back, great leader, great captain, you know, all these very positive things to say about him. But I think the media will portray him in a very different way and will take things out of context, you know, screenshots, and that, that kind of stuff. And it does have ultimately a negative, you know, it's, he's still captain of Manchester United, but there's still uh, uh a shadow mm. with him, and I think that's that's the sad thing about about it. A dark well. cloud, just a kind dark of cloud, following kind of, him, kind, yeah. of, kind of following him. But and, and that happens. I mean, he's just one example of many. You know, Pogba is another classic example mm. of a player who I think's been un, unfairly painted by the media as one thing, when in reality, something else. And David Luiz, maybe. Yeah, David Luiz as well. You know, just every every player kind of goes through in periods. And as in England, it's always the English players, especially I think at the west of it, especially when around World Cup time. Yeah, you know, they they like to go against their players, but I think. That's that's the sad part about it is when you see people who clearly don't watch the game or, you know, get, it's a game of opinions but don't understand the game mm. and, and, mm. and they're the ones who set the opinions and and I, th- and I think also, I've seen certain occasions not too often where a team buys a player based on reputation. Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, I think I think what people would be very surprised about is within football how much how football really isn't about ability. You know, I think we'd all like to think the best players in the world rise to the top. And in general, you have to be good to play in the Premier League. Yeah. But there are lots of players who end up in the Premier League because of relationships they have, um, you know, because of because of the reputation they carry. They yeah, and you know, and it's value. It's just that's like the business world, basically. It's not necessarily a straight meritocracy. I think every club, you know, wants to do things the right way. You know, not to say that, you know, clubs don't want to do it the right way yeah. but there's also an element of having to understand how the sport kind of kind of works all right fair enough um we we can move on to uh the scouting side of things right yeah. now a bit a bit more in depth scouting now 
obviously different clubs have different needs yeah. and wants, right? Uh, they have different kinds of setups and whatnot. Right now, you're, this is your first ever scouting gig in yeah. the UK. Um, what would you say is the most important message that bis- that's been sent to you by club? I think the most important thing in scouting is being very clear about what... Be very clear in your definition of things. Mm. I can see, so I want to go with uh, Lukaku, right? Let's take mm. Lukaku and first touch. Yeah, people <laughs> people like to say yeah, Lukaku's yeah, got yeah. a bad first touch. Yeah, they do. But what does first touch mean? Okay, Lukaku's quite bad at trapping the ball and stopping it dead. But I would say Lukaku's quite good at playing his first touch to open up space for him to make a run. Mm-hmm. Those are both first touch, but people just say, "Oh, he's got a poor first touch." Bad in one thing, but good in the other. Mm. So I think defining what you mean by certain things. So you say he's a good dribbler, okay? But what do you mean he's a good dribbler? Does he is he skillful? Does he just use pace? You know, what what does each in definition mean? So I think that's been the big thing that I've learned is that when you say something, you have to say it and you have to say it with conviction. Explain what you mean, mm. because just broad statements about a player just aren't true. You know, there's no player who makes it to professional level mm. who is. A bad passer Yeah for sure yeah. It might be that Okay When they strike the ball They don't have the conviction When they strike it And mm. that means Their passes aren't as good As the other person Maybe they're slower They're, they're slower in thought Maybe, mm. And you know There are very few footballers Who are bad You know To make it that level You're good Yeah. It's now How do you become specific About saying like Okay but what can I Pick out to say like Okay this is the small detail That makes you Better than everyone else because they're, they're no bad footballers. I mean, if you if, if you look at the worst footballer you can think of mm. in the Premier League, is better than any player you've ever played against. For mm. sure, times a million. For sure. And well, I mean, I, I don't think I can say that about Eddie Nketiah, to be fair. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's uh, it's a good thing you brought that up because we've been arguing with Zoom over the past few episodes where he's like, "Oh yeah, Arsenal doesn't have the type of players that are like good on the ball or good on this." And I was like, "You honestly can't say Xhaka." Can't do certain things. Yeah. He and, can, and, and obviously there is an element of you know you say things because you're adjusting to the level. But I think that's what scouting is when you're writing a report is understanding that. Okay, be specific about what you mean when you say something. Say it with conviction. Be be very clear in your own mind of what good passing looks like. What are yeah. the elements of that? Does he when he plays pass? Does he strike it well? Does he send it to the receiver's right you know correct foot? Mm. Does he time it well? You know all these elements add up into what just means to be a good passer. So yeah, fair that's enough. The, that's the biggest thing. It, it, just a bit of a curveball. If, for example, you were to give a description of a certain player, yeah, okay, uh, let's work with someone who's a bit polarizing as a player. Okay, uh, not necessarily world class, but not necessarily complete shite either. Yeah, uh, someone like Granit Xhaka, someone like Joe Willick, someone like Edin Ketia, maybe for yeah. Arsenal fans. I don't know. Or even someone as uh, world class, but also simple and effective like Jordan Henderson. Yeah. Or Thomas Muller. Thomas Muller, for example. Actually, let's go with Thomas Muller. Okay. Okay. What's your assessment of Thomas Muller? What makes him the top of where he is right now? So you know, when you're scouting, you kind of need to you need to have one eye on the player. Mm. What can the player do? Right on the ball, off the ball. How's he moving? But there's also you have to understand where they fit in to not only the club they're playing at, but mm. also the club you, you're you at or the club yeah. that, you know, you're working for. 
there's so many players in world football you can just say like okay super talented they score goals they do this da, 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 da. but then they move to another club and suddenly they're dead it disappears it vanishes and there's an element to kind of understand like hey you can appreciate I think you're phenomenal but if you come here you're not going to get that run you're making off the defender's shoulders we don't have the player to play that pass to you mm. so is it worth our investment to bring you across without actually sorting out getting that past you because mm. if that's your go-to move and we eliminate that from you well we give up on the player that you that we're looking at you're not the player we're looking at yeah. anymore so i think that's the kind of understanding that there is there is knowing that players are quality but then how do you fit them in to what you have mm. and what you know planning long term what you will have mm. so you got to have when you're watching a game it's not as simple as okay you can pass tick the box you can shoot tick the box it's it's really understanding kind of the subtleties of of the position of of what they do and whether that is something that that could work um with wherever you are so it's reminiscent for Kai Havertz Maybe, literally the same so. situation because Chelsea is suffering from that they yeah, don't know how to utilize him they don't know how to best uh, utilize him i think that's you know you talk about signing players on reputation he's the player who you know could last season any any yeah. any club any in the club world wanted him but yeah. spent a lot of money and i still think he's worth a lot of money mm. but Chelsea need to investigate whether were we best placed to spend that money for him or were they alternatives that we could have used the money for and he also needs to think was this my best my best move for me because if he had gone Yikes. if he, if you know if he had gone to you know if he goes to another club I could still see him he could have thrived just because yeah, you know maybe they would have known how to use him a better he would have you know in Germany playing more as a nine maybe come deeper players in eight in England but he could have he could have thrived mm. and i think he still will come good it just there's obviously going to be a period of so nice he's yeah, he's, he's, he's a kid no he's 21 he's 21 i think i'm going to split the difference he's i'm going to say 20 oh okay no. i mean i'll confirm that as we continue talking but i honestly thought he was 19 um and well, just not to answer like that's that's what i was thinking i was like yeah you know we blame a lot on the manager because i've been mean, at the end of the day when it comes to the transfer dealing he's the one who has the last say but it's like your point brought across is like yeah for sure there's a lot of players tick the boxes they can pass they can shoot they can run but it's like are you picking so when you go into looking for a player you're looking for a player who fits the system of the manager not just the player who's like oh yeah he's good all round so let's get him and, in and you know like like you know saying about watching x number of matches in a day you also have to consider that managers can watch less you'd be so surprised how like managers even the most obsessed manager mm. I'll say Bielsa he has a physical limit how many matches he can watch yeah. and train a team and you know manage players egos and it's a lot it's a being a manager is a very tough job i would not i would not want it i would not want to be a manager i think it's a great way to shorten your life expectancy <laughs> so much stress <laughs> but managers rely on on what their scouts tell them so if your if your scouts are giving you information saying he does this well does this well da 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 da, da but the manager doesn't have time to really think you know he's relying on his scouts to think for him and mm. say like okay but the gaffer doesn't like to play this way so yeah. why sign him yeah. and so there is an element of managers do really get you know it it has to be a whole system that comes together to to create the perfect signing mm. is when the scouts and the director of football and the manager all can work in harmony and figure out that this is the signing we need to make um you know a lot of managers might just not get the you know the opportunity to watch the player beyond the clips that it presented to them yeah and yeah, yeah, if those yeah. clips aren't the right clips you lose you lose out fair that, enough that fair reminds enough. me of bebe for my new <laughs> i think 
Why? Ferguson signed him off what his scout said. Yeah. Not he said. never saw him play, not even once. Yeah, compared to someone, like, for example, like Ronaldo. Yeah, no, Ronaldo. Yeah, he saw he won I'm, game and he was convinced. But I mean, I mean, the the great example of a of a great long term scouting mission was when it became clear Van der Sar was going to retire. Um, United had a full year of scouting with David De Gea. No? Uh, yeah, scouting the the replacements, and I'm fairly certain to say it's the only time Ferguson has missed a United game was to go watch David De Gea. What? Yeah, he missed a Carling Cup game, and Mike Phelan took charge of it. Was because uh-huh. they, they, okay. they, 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 he'd experienced replacing Schmeichel. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. problems that had come with that. Bartez, Bartez, Roy Carroll, <laughs> yeah. Taibi, and he didn't want to go through that mistake again. So he said, "You know what? Okay, you guys go out and scout. Present me those players, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go personally and look at him." And he went and watched David de Gea personally. Mm. It's the only time he missed, he missed. I attempt to say we were against playing against Crew, if I remember correctly, mm. and Mike Feeling took charge because David De Gea, um, he went to go watch De Gea in Madrid. Wow, that's that's really interesting. Okay, fair enough, man. I mean, that just shows how highly regarded or highly, uh, or how much he respects the scout's opinion. If he can actually sacrifice, well, a you game have to, go watch to the yeah, you know, if, if, and you know, so he, his scouts brought him a player and said, "This is the guy." Yeah, fair. And for Ferguson to miss a game, that's how much you know. That's how much how important scouts are. Is that. You know, we we really are the managers' eyes and ears in everything recruitment because it's not possible to watch mm. hun- hundreds of games of players. You know, if I watch a player now, you know, I'll watch them eight nine games. Mm. The manager doesn't have the time to do that. To watch yeah. that. You know, <laughs> if he did, he wouldn't be in the yeah. dugout. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't have time. He wouldn't be in the dugout. He wouldn't be coaching. He has to. There's so and much. Then, to and do. then, and then, as scouts as well, you're working on more than one profile. Yeah, yeah. Yola's right. Yola's working on yeah Yola's yeah. working on several players at, at once. But that's why I say managers are like generals or commanders. Mm, you yeah. dec- you have your lieutenants and all doing everything. You have to believe them, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Enemy position is here, blah blah blah. And, and the, at the end of the day, when you lose the war, it's the manager, the general exactly. who's like, taking. It's not like oh no, my scouting team told me this oh, guy was should have figured out <laughs> the <laughs> intel. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. that, that's that's why being being a manager is a very tough job, and it's the hardest job in football. Mm. Um, and I think we're seeing the transition away from like a manager to more like a head coach with a director of football sort of model. And I think that's good because it's just too much pressure when you have hundreds of millions of pounds okay. at risk to just leave it all on one yeah, person. Yeah, exactly. What we're dealing with media and all of that oh stuff. Days, yeah. uh, let's not even start. And the board, ah, yeah. boss, so uh, much. It's a bit too much. Yeah, manager is a completely different role. Um, when it comes to scouting, wh- what would you say are the KPIs? Do they vary from club to club? Yeah, to From scout to scout? Definitely. I mean, I think so. For club to club, definitely. Every club values certain course, things. And yeah. it's about ha- creating those KPIs with the coaching staff, with the board, with mm-hmm. everyone kind of having an input to build sort of, this is what we value in a winger. This is what we value in a centre-back. Yeah. And pushing those forward. But even scout to scout, we all have our own biases. You know, I know for a fact. So I said I was not a good player, right? Mm. <laughs> I was a great shot stop as a goalkeeper. I could save everything, you know. Top corner, bottom corner, save, save, save. I mean, if you didn't say so yourself. Where, yeah. well, what let me down was I couldn't ball play at all. There was no the ball was at my feet, can't do it. Very traditional. Very, I couldn't. You couldn't thread passes. Mm. Hated back passes. You back pass to me is going for a throw it. There's oh no question. I hated it, but I know in my scouting, I have a real bias of I overrate keepers who are good with their feet. Because I'm, oh. I missed out on that. I I feel it's such a great thing to have because I miss it in me. Mm. That when I see a keeper who's great with his feet, I can ignore so many glaring mistakes. I'm like, oh no, but he can play a pass. Ah. And that's something I'm having to learn about myself. Is that hey, just because you can thread a pass, 
Doesn't matter if you can't catch a cross. So there's a genuine need for introspection. Oh yeah, yes. I think you know they teach you on courses and stuff like that, and it comes across quite cheesy. Mm. But until I was actually in it and applying it to myself, then reflection, you realize yeah. reflection in coaching and scouting is the most important thing. Looking back at your session as a coach, and just investigating, you know, reading your old reports and saying like, okay, what didn't I like about him? You know, and that's what we're saying about being specific. If you're specific now. When you go reread it in a year's time, you're like, oh, okay, I I don't agree with that part anymore. Like, I I don't see that as effective yeah, anymore. Yeah. So scouting is always a battle with within yourself, understanding what your biases and, I mean, grander biases that are slightly more destructive. You know, beyond just liking goalkeepers play the pass. There is an element of of race. You know, there are scouts. There is that kind of idea that. Mm. Not maybe not pressurely, but there's a general idea that you know, let's say Africans can't be goalkeepers mm. or we're wingers. We're not. We're not the the yeah. playmakers. You know, we're hard workers. That kind of you know grit, the pace and passion, pace and th- power kind of players. I think to be fair, the that kind of discrimination comes across all sports. Yeah, right. I mean, African players of any sport are see, are seen to. Uh, they seem to be lauded for their physicality. The intelligent you know. rules they don't take so yeah, much. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's obviously so. really messed up, but. I hate it, and, and so that's yeah. so that's that's about you know that's what scouting, that's what part of scouting is is actually understanding. Hey, I've got a bias because there's so many reasons you have these biases because mm. it's how you grow up, it's how you were coached. A coach could tell you something when you're six years old, and that just sticks in your sticks your head. You, yeah. mm. And nine played has had a coach. A coach has told you something at seven that you think to this day when you're playing, you're like, yeah, that's how I play, and that all kind of molds and shapes how you view the game and constantly investigating yourself. And saying like, okay, like what, what, what can I, what am I wrong about? And mm. understanding that, and being willing to, being willing to be told, actually, hey mate, that's that's not that's I disagree with you. Fair, fair. I hated the fa- I, bro- I hated the fact that, like, because you can see, uh, I mean, uh, the viewers can see, but I'm tall, I'm skinny, and everyone, every scout, literally, they're like, oh yeah, you're great, you're fast, you know how to run into positions, but you need to get a bit bulkier. And I was like. Why though? Why? Because I could give you a list of players who never got bulky, and my game eventually evolved to more of uh, using my lightweightness. I mean, I guess if you can say that to my yeah. advantage, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's like if I'm dribbling someone, I'm not going to do a damachaure and go yeah. shoulder to shoulder with yeah. you. You know, I'll either use a feint and then I leave. And especially since I was tall, no one always expected him to be that rapid. Yeah. So if you the, once they see that and it's not to toot my own horn, but most of the coaches on the sideline would be like, watch him. Yeah, he's yeah. tall, but he's fast. And I was like, yeah, because that's my biggest weapon. That's my skill. That's my yeah, Exactly. So it's like, why should I go and bulk up in the gym and risk losing the pace that, the pace yeah. that I have in my feet? Because I mean, I can maintain it, but getting bigger was never the option Bulky for me. Because Di Maria, good example. Yeah. He's not bulky, but if you watch how he dribbles, he doesn't go head to head with everyone yeah he doesn't need to he's smart yeah, enough exactly. to figure out how to go exactly and that's what I tried to push myself onto and I think that's uh, from a scouting perspective and from Africa that's what we lack it's like you, when we're being taught we're always being taught oh you have to be buff muscular physical because it's true what other people say and there's also discriminations but that has become like sort of instilled in the it's coaches like a factory and these are the standards yeah, you need to these meet, are the standards you, know? you need yeah, to no, meet that's, exactly. a, that's a great way to put it and I think that's what football's becoming is it's a lot of players who are very similar. Mm. Um, the academy system in England is good at producing great professionals who yeah. are of a certain mould. And what happens is that when you hear as a kid, okay, let's say let's say me, I'm a goalkeeper, right? And as a kid, you're told Africans can't be goalkeepers, but I want to be a professional footballer. Mm. 
So what am I going to do? I'm going to try and switch your position. I'm going to switch my position. And I, you know, who knows? This kid could have been the oh, greatest goalkeeper yeah. of all time, but yeah. because he's told, no, you, what do you mean? Name me an African goalkeeper, and you're like, no, okay. Now we have, we have many, <laughs> yeah. many, many, thank God, yeah. thank God for them because yeah. they're, you know, they pushed on. for us. Yeah. They're, they're, they're opening up doors for us. But that's those subtle things all build up, and it it has a negative effect because you you start believing it yourself. When you, you, ju- you actually just mentioned the modernization of football. It's actually a discussion we've, I've had with many people. I've had it with Moody. I've had it with a, a couple of friends of mine as well uh, about maybe the, how, how, how it's becoming so scientific. Okay? It has to be. Yeah, and, and, and I think... Uh, just I blame Ronaldo. I another, <laughs> okay. You blame Ronaldo solely. Blame Ronaldo. <laughs> just before we go into more uh, scouting and especially your role, uh, the modernization of football, it feels like we're losing flair for physicality and uh, specific specificity. I think even Mikel Arteta spoke about it in, in, in an interview uh, just before Christmas. He spoke about how he needs four to six players with specificity. Not necessarily that the fact that he needs to sign them, but maybe some players can grow into those specific roles. Uh, now, obviously, that's to do with technical ability, yeah. player profiles, and so on and so forth. But... More and more, you're seeing athletes rather than footballers. Is that is that a statement that rings true for you as yeah. as a professional? Scout? Well, see, like we all, I always, I always say this is that speed. So athleticism, speed is the greatest floor raiser in football. Mm. If you have nothing else but you have speed, there's you someone. Something. Someone will someone will take a chance that they can build teach everything you, else. They can right? build things. In you. you know, you can't teach pace and all that, right? So I think yeah. speed is the greatest floor raiser. So. The worst. They're really some terrible players who all they have is pace, but they will. <laughs> That's true. They'll, they'll build a career for themselves, and you be yeah. you. You look at the moves and be like, how? Yeah. You watch him and be like, how, how, how's he gone here? How's he gone here? <laughs> and so, so athleticism definitely is, but you also have to consider footballs become so expensive. It has the room for making mistakes is is shrinking, is dropping. Yeah. So, as a result, you need to the bottom. Like your 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 floor has to be as high as possible. So that's why we're seeing athletes, because you know if let's say you misplace a pass, mm. if you're an athlete, you can still get around the pitch, recover position, you know, and you can uh, minimize the damage your mistake made. Mm. Whereas if you're a flair player and you know you're getting these great passes through, but then you then miss the one and they go counter and score and you you just can't get back because you don't have the legs, that's a huge effect. On you conceding goals is you know as a huge effect on, on the game, so as football becomes more expensive and more more money involved, clubs have to clubs are always going to want to be more pragmatic and more pragmatic, not and more efficient. That's the word. Efficient's the word. Mm. So yeah, we are seeing less flair player now. Flair players now. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is is and this is quite a very England specific example. Um, that's not it's not universal but certainly in England is the public spaces in England are are going away they mm. you know they're they're being built they're over building, yeah. they're building over so kids you know Wayne Mooney got his skill by playing on the street mm. that's where that's where football has developed technical skill it's not it's not in academies For where sure. you go on nice manicured pitches and everyone you know everyone is professional and wants to play you know yeah. wants to progress their career you actually learn technical skill by playing with your friends and 
them laughing at you when they dribble past you. Yeah. So like you want to now get back at them, yeah. and you you take bad tackles because no one knows how to really play, and you're playing on like terrible surfaces. So you have to so learn how to, how to control the ball. the ball. And you know that's why, like you know, we saw the classic Brazilians, Jogo Benito, but that's where those guys are playing. They're playing in places that aren't academies, that aren't like professional, like manicured yeah. factories. They're playing with, you know, on dirt pitches on. You know, streets. Street, streets. They're playing the streets. Horrible streets as well. Not even properly tarmac streets. And, and you know, and the class thing of playing barefoot. So all that stuff builds into. Yeah. Now it's now how you then build those skills as a kid, and then you then marry it with now the professional side that comes in later. And that's my, you know, with England, there's a concern that you'll have eventually a generation of very good professional footballers, yeah. but not no top tier player because mm. you're missing out on that guy who's who is obsessed with playing football with his friends who. Is a great street footballer. No, for real. I mean, you look at all these players that have made it out of South America. When you hear their stories as children, you always see these documentaries. Kaka, Ronaldinho, Ronaldo. All these guys made it out of playing off the streets. Simple as. I think most of us, at least in Kenya, for sure in Kenya, you definitely played on the streets as well. Yeah. Because you don't have those kind of surfaces that are very systemic, let's just say. And see, that's the challenge, I think, in Kenya is if you're going to create pathways for players in Kenya, it's about, yes, putting them in a professional environment where they get all the support that they need, you know, the nutritional advice, the mm. sports science advice, mm. because you need that now. But mm -hmm. also not getting rid of that street element of where great footballers are made because it's our greatest advantage is yeah. that we play football and the streets you play football are not great you know not the best pitches and that teaches you how to be an incredibly technical footballer yeah. so that's the challenge you can marry the two you start producing world-class players instantly fair enough so you you certainly agree then football is becoming a lot more scientific a lot more uh, let's just say what is it? Is it, is it systemized? I don't, I don't no, know. They're the building right soldiers more than they're building. <laughs> is it? Yeah, it's, so, it's more of a soldier line. And, you know? and, and the, the thing is, I still I do think that tactical, tactically, football is becoming more about efficiency. And you know, obviously, we talk about the death of the number ten is the yeah. that example. But it's not that the number tens died. It's the number ten has changed. You now need to be a worker off the ball. You now yeah. need to be able to take up different positions exactly. where you receive the ball. So technical players will always still shine through mm. it's about now combining it with the athletic side mm. the the physical side the mental side to elevate your game mm. um but you know football will always be dominated by technical players will always be the difference makers the yeah, difference course, makers you know course. it's just the nature of the game it's the nature, I, I, it's the nature I of the game. can't really change the nature of the game too much sure there's a lot of things that i think people from the older generation would always uh, complain about mm. you know uh, look at this this is a right back he's six foot four like burn yeah left back who's six foot six or some 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 shit like that it's but i think you lose you, know? you lose the type of players like I, i give an old player who i loved watching i mean i loved watching him after i started yeah, yeah. watching football because like apart from all of you i hated football when i was young yeah I despised it so much. I was when the World Cup used to come on. I remember the two or two World Cup. I was like, "Why are we f watching these stupid matches?" Yeah. <laughs> like, we I was so excited. No, to be honest, I was. It was more of people's compliments, like you said, yeah. that made me go into football because I started as a goalkeeper as well. Oh, uh, I started okay. as a goalkeeper, <laughs> and I was like, "This job is boring because all you're doing <laughs> is standing there and waiting for people to come to you." So I started dribbling outside, and then 
like you said, I started learning, oh, this is how you dribble, this is how you go. Mm. Then I took a shot once and this guy was like, with that shot of yours, I don't think you should be at like the at the back, you know. Yeah. So I went into midfield and then I went to center back and then now I started playing football professionally, like, I mean, in academies and all. And then, well, I was a winger, but I was. it was the days for when, you know, you used to watch Ronaldo and Neymar and yeah. no one wanted to track back and you're like, yeah, I'm good, I'm going to Chile. So my coach made me a right back. And anyway, to like skip through this whole story, it's like Matthew Matthew Letizia. I don't yeah, know if you know. Yeah, he hated training. Like, honestly, I saw one got he never trained. Legend. He li- and the things he could do. The football, incredible. You, you honestly, half of us just imagine we could even do something like that because he could score stunners. He dribbled past three, four players, mm-hmm. and it's just dribbling for where you're standing in the same place and you're still leaving. leaving yeah, you know. Yeah. So you lack that. You lack guys like Ronaldinho. Because yeah. even as much as Neymar is... Um, a freestyler. Yeah, yeah, freestyler. He's forced n- to I th- I th- limit I th- that. Yeah, I think it'll change. I think you'll you'll find that, yeah, I think as we go on, it's going to be, like I said, the players who combine that technical skill with elite physical ability are going to be the players who shine through. But you can't, you know, you can't make it like you can't go to the very very top of the game without good technical without, grounding. Yeah, yeah. Like sure. You're always going to need that. That's always going to be there. The players who can manipulate a ball and understand just how to, you know, you use, you use the term technically secure, which I really like because that's mm. that's what it is. You know, you yeah. can receive a pass, and you you can make the ball do whatever you want. Yeah, you'll always you'll 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 shine through. Yeah, fair enough, man. Um, you still don't blame Ronaldo for all of this. Ronaldo who? Cristiano. Cristiano Ronaldo. You don't see his with, with uh, efficiency. Yeah, you don't see his his trajectory. Like, uh, if it's anyone who was very aware of themselves, it was him. I think. Was I think. Ju- I, I blame actually the internationalism of Premier League football. Yeah. Oh, but it was Ronaldo. I, he left I, to rea- when it. he left to rea- when he was in Man U, he still showed the characteristics we're talking about. He had flair. He was a good. He was a good uh, technical player. He yeah. had speed, power, pace, all of that. All of that. I mean. Yeah. But when he went to Real, and the older he got, he realized dribbling, it's good for the camera. That's for sure. And if I can do a step over and get past the player... I think he player, enjoyed goal scoring more than yeah. anything else. No, that's what yeah. I'm saying. No, but he noticed if... Well, I don't know. I'm not him. But from what we, I saw from outside, he noticed that I can dribble, yeah, four or five players. But if they're still keeping me in the corner, yeah, it helps no one. So if I can dribble one player and then cool. bang a goal... It yeah, makes a bit of a difference. It. And everyone started idolizing him because we all thought, let's just be very frank with each other, all of us thought what Messi can do, none of us can do. Yeah. So like, yeah, let's imitate a player who's on his level. A bit more realistic. Because <laughs> everyone always used to have this argument and I just used to find it so stupid. It's like, oh yeah, Ronaldo is a is a machine. Messi is all talent. I'm like, bro, that's so you your think boy, he Zlatan got there? Said yeah. that, no, so you think he got there with only being a machine? Because I mean, he built his body and all. But he had course, talent. I think, I think, I think it's, it's safe to say Ronaldo is one of the athletes in the world who's invested most in, his, in himself. For sure. He's understood, he understands the game yeah. so well. Like, like you said, you know, he understands to be f- how to be the most ruthlessly efficient player of all time, I think. Like, and that's, that's not, I think Messi's the no, better player. Of all player. time, he equaled uh, Pele's yeah. goal so, record. Yeah. This. I, th- I think Messi's the better player because he's still managing to do things. Like, I mean, he, Messi can do things like that at 18 he's now doing it you know in his 30s and yeah. it's never changed and that's, that, there's beauty in that but Ronaldo so aware of himself like you said came, comes to comes to United as the skinny 
skinny Portuguese kid yeah. gets roughed up. <laughs> and do you see his name? He's, you know, puts on the muscle and he's like, all right, cool, he's I'm ready. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready, ready to go. I'm ready to finish. I genuinely believe the Premier League is the reason for the athleticism that we see in football right for now. For sure, for sure. Uh, I think it was it was just the right concoction of internationalism. You had the flair of the, the Latin world and, and some of the some of the Asian players coming in with the hard work. I mean, Park Ji Sung. Yeah, Three Lung Park. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three Lung Park. I never heard that before. That's brilliant. Um, and then you had the physicality of the English and just overall the UK players. And then you bring in the physicality and the pace and the intelligence as well of the African and the, and, and the European players and the technical brilliance of the Spanish players, for example. All that, it just became one amazing cocktail of adaptation, in my opinion. Yeah. English players realized they needed to adapt in certain ways. English teams, largely English teams. More international teams needed, needed to adapt in, in different ways. And all that just brought on this new, amazing, yeah. superpower league, in my opinion. So I think it's more down to that. But honestly, when it comes to hard work and ethic and, and just application, Ronaldo is just the role model of so many players. One of them. No, as an athlete. I wouldn't say players as an as a even as an athlete, athlete, yeah, for, yeah, for, for yeah. sure, yeah. I think it's like I think LeBron James is the only one who's close to him in that type. Yeah. I mean, in terms of just right, like yeah. investing in yourself and understanding yeah. that your body is is your is your is your tool, it's, mm-hmm. your, it's, your, it's, your, it's your paycheck, you know. Fair enough. But uh, the English players, I think, like when you mentioned, I think there's English players who had sort of the talents of, like I guess you call them Latin and all, and it never worked out for them. Like my biggest two examples in my because I'm not that old I wasn't there when is Wilshire and Lalana yeah I find players. them mm. technically they were f- so bloody good. amazing and you see, I think that you know those sort of players you know again because they're so unusual in the academy setup those supremely technically players they they stand out yeah for such sure. a young age and I think there's also I think with Wilshire there's an element of I wonder if because how technical he is and how brilliant he was at such a young age whether he was almost pushed through too quick. He and was. that's that's the effect that's now had that his body's just broken down now. I actually I, I I'd actually point the blame largely towards him and the Arsenal medical medical staff back then. Yeah. I know for a fact this guy played through games he knew he shouldn't have played through. He said that though. Yeah, he yeah. mentioned it, it's, right? It's, so uh, and and when players do that, they jeopardize themselves, their careers, their their clubs as it, well. It, it's hard. I think you know, I think the sports scientists they're becoming so important to clubs because they have to be the the adult in the room who says like, hey, boss, gaffer, player, you guys, you can't can't go. You can't, like, you can't, the body isn't ready. Mm. And for one game, it's annoying. It must be. If you're a manager and your best players, if if some, you know, guy fresh out of uni, you're a manager for 20 years, let's say, and you've got a sports scientist fresh out of uni and he's telling you your star player can't oh, yeah. play. Like you're going to look at him like, what are you... Yeah, I know, I've been here for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. but We've managed, we've managed. We've managed, 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 yeah, been here without you. But that sports scientist, for that one game, is really irritating. But for that player's career, that's a big that's thing. It's a huge career, thing. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of responsibility in, in, in those roles of Fair clubs. Fair enough, man. Uh, I just want to talk about the age. When do scouts start scouting... Uh, a player at what age is that player being scouted at what's the earliest what's the latest so okay so it depends on what you mean so we can have so most clubs have an academy setup and a first team setup so Mm. the the first team it's basically as I would say under 23 football and first team football Mm. pretty much exclusively the academy guys it's it's a lot 
yeah, I mean, nine years old, you know, it's, it's, it's young. scouting. Yeah, but because you know, it's it's about placing, and they've got very different protocols on how mm. they kind of work. So the first team will have very strict KPIs, this, 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 because we know we're going to spend this much, da, da. But the academy is a lot looser, and they look for maybe one or two skills that are elite. Um, so there's a club um, I was talking to, the head of academy recruitment a few years ago. Mm. And what they have for their academy is something called a super skill. Mm. So they look at a player, and if they've got a super skill, it means this particular skill would be the best in their age group at our at our academy. Mm. And essentially, for them to bring a player into their academy, they have to have one super skill. So whatever that is. So it could be, if and it's, it doesn't matter if it doesn't necessarily apply to your position. Mm. They just want to see that you have something that makes you better than everyone else. And they can hope they can teach you everything else to catch up. I guess, I guess. So and and this could range across. Sorry, this could range across physical, technical, mental, mental yeah, as well. Okay. Mental. So so that, so so it's, it's any aspect of the game. Mm. And Anderson that, was definitely taking over mental. Possibly, I think. Although I saw him do a soccer AM challenge that they used to do back in the day with some of the youngsters, yeah. and he was a youngster at uh, under sixteen Sunderland, I think, at the time. Yeah. And he could do things I could never no, do. No, no, no. It doesn't bounce. It bounce. <laughs> just like you said earlier, there's no way you make it to that level if you're not good yeah, at yeah, what yeah, you do. So, so, like, so like, yeah, you see, like, so, the, so it just depends. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's football's kind of messed up in that the coaches at under sevens to, you know, throughout the academy, youth football, it's almost seen as, hey, I'm going to go to the kids for a bit because it's a stepping stone to me to go to the first team. And I really disagree with that because the coaches and scouts at that level are the ones who actually identify, have the much harder job because seeing a 12-year-old and seeing like there's a player there is very difficult. Because yes, when, when, when you're 12, it's, it's difficult. I, I, can't, I can't, no one can. No one can tell you your son is 11 years old or daughter, they're going to go right to the top. It's impossible to do that. Yeah. But in football, we kind of need to get away from this idea that youth football is worse than professional football. It's just an, a different set of skills because you have to look so much more beyond than what I have to look for in the first mm-hmm. team. In the academy, you're looking at, you know, how are they going to grow? How how their body going to change? Um, are they are they a small twelve year old or a big thirteen year old? Because two twelve year olds, yeah. same age, it could be <laughs> massive difference. One could have gone to puberty two years ago. He's got a beard and deep voice. It's it's true. It's yeah. th- that stuff that happens. It's varied, yeah. And he could be playing against a kid who's not gonna you know he's he's not gonna he's not gonna be shaving until he's twenty five. And you just never know how that's gonna yes, how that's how, that how, how that's gonna, gonna play out for those players. So there's there's so much to think about in youth football, and I think that's that's a much harder. A lot of respect for them. Fair enough, man. Um, obviously, I want I want to talk about your time here in Kenya yeah. in football, because Kenya for sure has a myriad of problems, yeah. and some of them are self-inflicted. Some of them, you know, it's just things that we can't change because of the nature of our country. Yeah. Uh, simple as. Um, what was it like in Kenya? I mean, where would you start? And what were your, some of your proudest moments? What are some of your darkest moments in Kenyan football? Yeah, okay, I have nothing. You know, I, I'm, I'm, people are going to just think I'm just saying this because for, for reasons. But honestly, I, I had such a great experience coaching at Sharks. You know, I was younger than most of the squad. How I'd, old were you then? 20. Okay. 20, I think. I just turned 20. Super young. My goalkeeper's all older than me. But still treated me with... Respect. respect you know I never had I, you know I was so nervous going in like I'm going to have to earn their respect. respect never had to they straight away were just like hey coach cool what are you doing respected that I could provide some knowledge yeah. and you know along the way I was learning with them so 
there were elements that they're like, hey, we don't really enjoy that, you know, and that, but always with respect, always with, you know, respecting that even though I'm younger than them, I'm still I'm still the coach, and you know, even though they were teaching me stuff along the way, it never it, that never changed. It was a healthy environment of feedback. Yeah, and that, and that's okay. down to well, I mean, we had two managers in the season, but both managers I think fostered that brilliantly. So William Aluya, who's there now, who's mm-hmm. been there now, he was took off the second half of the season. He really did a good job at fostering that. What, ha- what happened to... Amango ended up moving to work in the Federation. Oh, is so, so he's now the technical director of the Federation. He wasn't sacked already. No, no, he, no, he moved to the technical director of the Federation. Okay. Um, and, you know, the club itself really had a great environment, great players who just want to win. And whatever bring, brought them closer to winning, mm. they, were, they were willing to do. So the challenges, I mean, the challenges, it's just not with the playing staff or the technical staff. The challenges exist with the finances that's the ultimate and thing and the is. system and the system in you know general. there's so many bright people in Kenyan football who just want opportunity to to do what they do analysts right uh, going back to trucks now there's a great analyst of that club there now who I think is one of the smartest people in football but the resources I have available to me versus the resources he has available to him are very different mm. for sure so you know he now it's improving but before he was taking you know taking notes on matches with pen and paper Okay, so he's counting one shot, two shot, three shot, Yikes. four. Obviously, now it's changed. Now he's got a laptop. He can now improve things. And, da, 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 and like that's part of the club growing up. But when you're so limited in resources, it becomes some, the, the gaps just grow because mm. you just take across the border in Tanzania, what their clubs have available to them versus what our clubs have available to us is very different. And so that's, you know, Tanzania, that's not the Premier League. That's yes. Tanzania. But the gap will just continue to grow because they can do things quicker and more efficient. So, for example... You know, let's say I want to analyze a team in possession. Mm. If if I'm at a club that has can pay for all the subscriptions to all the services, can um, you know has unlimited wealth, basically, I can go download a game. I can set it to only play moments of the ball in play. So every time it goes up for throw in, it cuts hard cuts to the ball back in play. I can select automatically I want to see just the passes I want to see just the shots I want to see just the passes from Paul Pogba you have to but if you're trying to analyse the same team but you don't have that available to you you've got to watch a 90 minute match you've got to you know code it or pause it and say pause 50th minute pass Paul Pogba it's better smarter more efficient information and that's all that's the only difference there's no reason an analyst at Sharks is not as good an analyst as Manchester City that's not true Mm. it's just what they have available to them and that analyst at Sharks or or uh, Gore or AFC or what have you, they have as much knowledge of the game as the guys at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. It's just that they are forced to spend hours doing something that takes you five minutes. And so you can get through so much more. So you can offer more insight. And that you come across as smarter. But the actual base knowledge of the game, it's no different. So I think that's that was the challenge is, is trying to like... That's where we have to face is that if we don't have finances, everything is sluggish. Everything is slower. You know, if you want to, if you as an analyst identify something in your, in, your, in your right back, it might take you five matches for him to do this thing you think he needs to improve at because that's how football works. You can't tell a player, hey, go make this mistake. But it's something you've, if you've noticed that over a season and you're like, okay, I want to start monitoring it. It doesn't happen for five matches, but you don't have access to the previous matches you've seen it in. Mm-hmm. To present that to a coach... To be like, this time. is what he... Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. there's there's things like that. Proudest moment, we got, we got promoted. And, you know, that was... I, even my first game, I'll never forget my first game. Yeah. Um, um, it was against Talanta, and it was at... Um, 
Reza Kasrani and it was just such a surreal experience for me I was like man this is professional football like everyone you know everyone kind of like makes fun of Kenyan football but yeah. you knew what then I was like hey they were Sharks had f- fans on the ground we went out for a warm up and I was like man this is this is this is the professional game yeah. and you know one of the keepers we had there went to AFCON I remember he went he ended up going to AFCON oh, last nice. year and like they're very good players very good guys it just they're not helped by the system around them yeah, mm. for sure. and I think if you get, if you put the system in place the minds in Kenyan football would blow you away yeah. and that's 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 the thing the minds they, they would blow you away I think I had a similar situation because I trained with Madari. Just yeah. quick recap: as I trained with them for like I think two, three sessions. Yeah, is when I was trying to make it as a footballer, and Jesse Ware was there at that yeah. time. And uh, like I lacked certain things because I I was a winger, and to be honest, until today I prefer assisting more than scoring. Yeah. I mean, the feeling for scoring is different, mm. but it's like he he noticed. Uh, this is a striker, not the coach. Yeah. The striker noticed like your shots keep going up, you know. And I didn't notice why it was that. And I think since you're a coach, you can you you can agree or disagree with me. But as a striker, when you're striking the ball, and like, even if you have your foot placement properly, yeah. if your back is leaning, yeah. like your the shot is always going to deviate, yeah. going upward, sideways, or whatever. So it's like when you come in, crunch forward, like bend forward, yeah. so that your shot has more accuracy in it. And I was like, wow, this is... Inside, you know? Yeah, this is a striker who plays in one of the leagues where I thought it was dead. Mm. And for me, I and think... he's teaching you something. Yeah, he's yeah. teaching me a lot. And I was like, that helped me. I literally scored the same technique when I went to Switzerland. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just that uh, technique for getting your knee over the ball to yeah, keep it low getting, as yeah. much as yeah, possible. But you don't know but that. You don't know that because... That you had to, the fact that you went through a league that's presumably dead yeah. or you know, people don't give it any kind of credit for it and yeah. someone learns something from that. No, but I, I think... You can't escape the professionalism. There has to be some level of professionalism. Yeah, of course. And I mean, I mean, you can't and ignore and that. And like, like, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, there's still things that need to be fixed in terms of teaching players to understand that they need to look after themselves slightly better. Yeah, for sure, there's for there's sure. an idea of, you know, football is a very short time, so, you know, maximize it while you're here sort of thing, more dedication in the gym. All those sort of things need to come through. But in terms of the raw ability and the the, the base level is very high in Kenya. Mm. And I think it's something that once the government, federations, and Kenyans realize mm. that actually we could put together consistently good national teams if we just put our, our energy in the right place. I blame I bl- sorry I bl- I blame the government in general. I mean this is not me bashing them and all because the <laughs> inadequacies are literally there to see because I mean football would thrive in Kenya like you say it has literally the only reason I want to like my end goal whether it's 5 years 10 years is to have an academy yeah. where now nah, I just need to build the connections with abroad because for me as I see here no matter how much I nurture talent no matter how much time I put into them literally it's going to die out sooner or later and I've seen that from so many of my friends and the siblings and all of these people where the guy is hella talented he can pass he can run he's he goes to the gym he goes he jogs in the morning but like you said, the government, first of all, doesn't allow you. There's three things they don't do. They don't allow the structure for finances to easily flow into the clubs. Mm. Two, we have a huge population of lower class citizens. So they're not going to waste money to pay for a ticket to watch their football team <laughs> rather than provide food for them. And three, the system is just way too corrupt. Because, for example, if I have a player that I want to get 
across the border. And it's like someone is in a position where they know someone abroad. They'd be like, okay, so where is my cut? I mean, you have the story for cuts. You have the story for players and coaches, uh, relationships and how they push each other. You see, yeah. a, co- a coach says, I'm going to take this player to the national team. I, th- I think team. Kenya also has a big, like, regional bias, regional problem. Yeah. I mean, like, the, the, under, the youth national teams can't just be Nairobi-based players. You that's not, that's yeah, not realistic. Not I mean, they are players in western, northeastern coast, everywhere that are ballers, absolute ballers. Yeah. But when you look at, like, a like I think it was the under-17 national team that played last season, so it was Nairobi complete Nairobi-based. <laughs> it's like, okay, I understand there's limitations on like how many staff you have to go out and look, but you can't be looking that hard if it's just one city. Like it's not, it's not well, possible. Like not, yeah. every, not every player can be from Nairobi. I found out recently that these guys set up these national teams or youth teams based, you know, as per tournament. Yeah. A tournament is announced. Kenya, the, the Football Federation gets an invite. They decide, oh, crap, we need a coach. You're the coach. coach yeah. The coach says, oh, crap, I need a team. <laughs> he doesn't go through a, a lengthy, well-established There's, process. No, he doesn't. And so that, that's, it. that's where I think when you talk about money, people think about the obvious things mm. like yeah. building a stadium, team bus, nice kit. But you need money, money. for all of those but things. But you know what? A, the money that could, would just, if money came to Kenneth Football, just put into the processes mm. to allow you to think long-term because you know clubs can't plan two, three seasons in advance because players are on one-year yeah, contracts exactly. and you know they could be poached by Gore, they could be poached by anyone. And you're now having to like look for the next people as the problems are. You're firefighting constantly. It's always stopgap solutions, yeah, exactly. always. And that's what that's what our football is going to look yeah. like all the time. I mean, I I still don't remember a time when Kenyan the Kenyan national team played good football. Yeah, I don't remember. And that's I, the thing; I it's always going to be disjointed. Them. It's always going to be disjointed. Um, what was your darkest moment? At K Sharks, or was it a, as a goalkeeping coach, or maybe even in the industry? Um, I, I just know I'm. I, what kind of pushed me away from coaching is I know I don't handle losses well. Mm. I think I really struggled with that. Is when we would lose a game or drop points, it would really affect me. Like I really felt it. You know, sore loser. Huh? No, not even sore loser. Just like not that I. I kind of felt you know it's when you come into professional the professional game you realize that you know you get to know someone right. You know a player. You know he's got two kids. Like let's say. You know that kid needs to be educated, mm. fed, da, da, da. and you feel like a loss yeah. is a threat to that. And like, you know, I was so young, I, I didn't have I didn't have that same problem. But they're your friends, and you know. So I I really struggled with losing matches. Like, and I still I still I mean I still feel it now. Like even though I'm not involved in the day to day performance side and more recruitment stuff. Mm. When we lose a game, like I feel it quite a lot. Like I'm just, I'm just not good at losing, and I think that's why I found really hard is is. Especially, I think that's why kind of scouting suits me more because I can kind of remove myself from that process because I couldn't imagine being a manager and losing matches and having to go face the players knowing that their livelihood, that their, you know, everything is based on... Depends on that. Depends on that. And it it must be different when you're Man United and players on 200 grand a week and, you know, it's the difference, you know, if they don't get another big contract, they downgrade from a Lamborghini to a Benz. But if you're lower down when a guy's mortgage... Is dependent depends, on yeah, it, that yeah. loss? I would feel it like so. I, yeah, I'd feel like I'd, I'd, I felt losses quite badly, and like so. That's one thing I really I didn't enjoy. And I think maybe as I, hopefully as I get older, I'll become more steeled against that. But yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine how sensitive you would be to your friends. I mean, I, I think correct me if I'm wrong, but like in the lower leagues, especially in Kenya, for example, in the second division yeah. or whatnot, you don't get paid if you lose. Yeah, is a lot, that, is a lot, that true? like a lot, a lot of clubs will have like. 
Those yeah, like, like I mean, Kenya, Kenya. I think FIFA said FIFA pros once put it like Kenya, Africa in general, but Kenya, I think, was mentioned by name is really not good at respecting what the contract contracts say. And it's a real player welfare here is a real problem. Players are always on the edge of being unemployed and not you know salaries being delayed and bonuses withheld and all those sort of things. And when it's happening, it's happening at Gore which is the biggest club in the land, yeah. it filters all the way down through the system. And it's like, it's quite rich, you know, someone like me who's, you know, comes from quite a comfortable background. It's okay, it's okay for me, but if someone who hasn't Ooh, come from such a yeah. privileged background as me, it's, 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 a, real, it's a real problem. Like yeah, it is, it is. And how can you dedicate yourself? So we're asking players to dedicate themselves more, harder in the gym, da, da, da. but if you don't know if you're going to be paid. Yeah, what's the point? What's the point? And yeah. so many players, I think, I think there's a real untalked about mental health problem in Kenyan football because sure. you can't be going months without being paid wages and you've got a kid and you've got food you've got rent to pay and and you're you're being pushed harder and harder and you're being told it's your fault that you know things aren't going well when in reality club owners club chairman don't you know they, need, don't, care, they, they yeah. don't care and i think that's it's going to be it's going to be something that i think the players union one day is going to have to address here is that players players really need to is after. there a players union? There's a players union here. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't quite know how effective it is. But yeah, no, I, I mean, don't think it's that effective. That. I mean, uh, anything that goes against a government, whatever, doesn't have. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much, man. Uh, we really appreciate the insight. This is really valuable information, not just for nearly footballers, but anybody who actually aspires to make it, especially here in Kenya, and. Uh, Hopefully, even anybody else abroad who wants to make it in any level of the industry, yeah. you at least know what steps you can take and how you can approach it. So, thank you so much again, yeah. Nathan. Um, I, you know, I, I think you probably tweet this out. You will tag me in it, but yeah. I always say, feel free to DM me on Twitter if you ever have any questions. If you, especially if you're a player, mm. um, I think it's my responsibility as as a Kenyan to kind of look after Kenyan players. So, if you are yeah. a Kenyan player, or if you have any kind of player. Just feel free to reach out to me. I'm always happy to give advice. Oh, I respect that a lot, quite a bit, man. So, as always, thank you so much for the feedback, guys. And uh, don't forget, man, like, share, subscribe, retweet. This All is a bonus episode, things. man. All of them things. Moody, you saying we're giving them bonus episodes because we love these uh, people, man. I'll see you. Even us, we want that love. Ah, yes, so, so, man. <laughs> so, we'll see you guys next week. See you guys.